So let me ask you this morning, are you a child of God? That's the question. And uh, I can assure you that, uh, I don't know how to turn this out, there we go. Um, you're not subject to fear. You're no longer a slave to fear. Now, to do that, we have to take what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take the word and we're going to battle with our, with our sword that we've been talking about for this last pandemic year. I was talking to a very close friend of mine. I was in uh, Utah this last week with National Link staff meetings that we had and went and saw one of our dear friends who consults the governor there about the pandemic and all this. And he said, you know, we had the Stone Age, we had the Age of Enlightenment, we had all these, the Bronze Age and all this. He said, I really do think the next 10 years, and I hate to say this, we're going to be defined by the age of the virus, the viral age. And not viral social media age, but pandemic type stuff. So there are, look, one of the things we're going to talk about this morning, and I, and I have a message I believe from, is from God's heart. Uh, he gave it to me two or three weeks ago when I was in Denver. And, um, and I just want to share it with you this morning. It impacted me very profoundly. It, it's right exactly where we were in Luke chapter 8, starting verse 4. The sower went out to sow. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But we are incredibly challenged. Let me just say, most churches are, but especially the tack that we took, which was not together for about a year and a half. Some of you, I'm sure, were disappointed in that, as were we, obviously disappointed, but maybe even felt differently about that. But we, we felt that to love our neighbor, we, and, I'm, and I know we lost some folks at church at the Red Door. It's been a challenge, but we did not want to be play a part in spreading this virus. It was based on intel that we had from sources that we went to. And now looking back, uh, I think it was the right decision. And even now, we don't know. I would have assumed that we were going to be back at UCR in the fall. I really did. And it looked that way. We were really moving that way. And now with Delta, and now 39 countries as of two days ago with this new variant. Look, I am not personally afraid of the virus. I will tell you that right now. I am not personally afraid of it. Never was, even if I was unvaccinated. And I'm vaccinated. But I will tell you, I'm never, I've never been afraid of it, but I don't want to play a part. We're to love our neighbors, and I don't want to be part of a spreading thing. As many of you will know, Los Angeles Times and other um, rags in some way are chronicling all the church events that are leading to super spreader events, and people are dying. And now, I had several people die that I knew this, uh, this last week. Uh, we lost one of our area director's father, died of COVID. Another friend of our family died of COVID. Another friend that I knew was a golf professional died of COVID. So again, I, I, I know it's challenging, and I've talked to other pastors. This has been such a divisive issue, and it should not be. Look, I don't, I don't judge my other pastoral friends that have started gathering from day one. I do not judge that at all. But we took the tack of not being participant in spreading event. And even now, I don't know what the future holds. I, I called the other day and I just said, look, I need to pull out your best prognostication about what you see over the coming year. And uh, he said, don't make any long-term plans. Don't make any long-term commitments as it relates to leases or other things, the viral, viral, virologists, that, and he's an infectious background, infectious disease background. 
He said, we just don't know what the future holds. And these, uh, these variants are emerging. I think we're going to be able to keep pace with it, but we're probably another year and a half with Delta until it's eradicated. And now with this woo uh, thing. And, and I just want to be open and honest and transparent. And can I say, can we just be a family, even if you disagree with some of the decisions that would be made? And it's impossible for us to say unified in terms of maybe agreeing, but can we agree in spirit to be a family? And that's one of the questions I want to ask you going forward. There are so many challenges in front of Church at the Red Door, specifically now. Why? Well, we were a church plant just five years ago, and two of those five, or at least five and a half now, almost, well, almost five, two of those have been basically COVID-bound. We're not where we want to be. We've got families and people right here that can't be watching. They'll be watching. Actually, we're a week delayed. We can't even do live stream now that'll be watching because we don't have any place for childcare right now. And so there are all kinds of things in front of us and without a desire to move somewhere else and have a lease and then the land and everything, can you agree that in some ways Church of the Red Door is undergoing a famine of sorts? Incredibly challenging. And what happens with the famine? Well, one of the things uh, that I was looking at this week is I started in, even three weeks ago, I started in just thinking through the sower and went out to sow. We see that in Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8. Jesus says, and the sower went out to sow and began to throw seed. And well, you know the story, and I'll read through it here in a minute. But one of the things that we find is that some of the seed found good soil. And it produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. Some of it found good soil. And Laura and I, since the day we were married, Lord, we want to be good soil. And if it's possible, we want to be 100 fold people. Now, I don't know if you've ever constructed your life in such a way that you think of your life as either being fruitful or unfruitful. Most people in the West, because we have such a, an evangelistic zeal, which is positive and good, and a lot of people think in terms of their faith of being saved or unsaved almost exclusively, and they never really try to quantify, am I being for productive given the gifts that God's given me? Am I being fruitful in my life? And I know, and I always wonder, are there just some people that are assigned 30-fold, and some people are signed 60, and some people are signed 100. I don't know the answer to that, and I don't even know that any of us could really know, but I did ask the question of the Lord early in our marriage, Lord, if we can be 100-fold couple, then we want to be that, and then adding the very frightful addendum to that, whatever the cost may be. So, in thinking about that, and I'm not going to go into the sower. I was going to read that. Many of you know the story. If you don't, uh, you can go back and read it, Luke chapter 8, starting verse 4. Just look, and Jesus had to explain, and he said this parable was foundational to understanding all the rest of the parables. It's such a foundational parable. Some seed was scattered by the road, and some and others, you know, uh, weeds grew up, and the love of the world, and all those kinds of things grew up and choked it, and some got stolen immediately. And I know there's a pastor, ministerial guy who's taught sometimes six hours a week teaching through the Bible for the last multiple decades, that you can just tell, you can see it in people's eyes at times, the, the seed that was sown was stolen even before they hit the door. And sometimes that's bad preaching, teaching on my part, 
and sometimes their mind was a million uh, miles somewhere else, and sometimes they simply don't understand it. And I know that those things exist, but sometimes you just know that this word has produced, is going to produce fruit in these folks' lives. And you don't know how it's going to produce. Sometimes uh, it produces uh, a little bit, and sometimes it is transformational in the life or lives of the people who hear it. And those are what get me up in the morning, is to see the light go on and you can just tell. So rather than go into the depths of that parable, I felt like, Lord, I've taught on this parable. I mean, I teach on it all the time. I mean, it's again, it's foundational, all the parables. It was a few years ago, I taught through it with great detail here at Church at the Red Door. But this time, I just felt like the Lord put it on my heart. I want you to think exclusively about a hundredfold, and I want you to teach on that. Now, did I hear an audible voice? Some of you say, I know some of, for some of you, that's odd language. And I can't always be assured that it's the Lord's voice. I don't hear an audible voice, but I get a prompting in my spirit, whatever that is. Deep down, I'm like, I've got to go down this road. And so in doing this, I was in Denver, and uh, I just felt led to go back to the only place in the Old Testament where it even even says hundredfold. It's only found once in the Old Testament. Now, you've got to realize the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, isn't it? The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and then the New Testament gives expression and fulfillment to types and archetypes and, and the narrative. It completes the narrative. It, it's an extraordinary book, the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, again, we get templates, and we saw that. You know, you brought me through the sea, you know, in that last worship song that I had that I wanted to play, but just before we got into this, and, and we know, and you almost hear it from me every week, uh, Israel uh, we are walking out Israel's journey. Why? They did it in a physical realm. We do it in a spiritual realm. It helps us know how to navigate the waters that we face in this life. It just does. And it's powerful. And I'm so thankful for the experience of Israel because, again, they came out of Egypt and went to the Red Sea, but it's so much more than that. And everything they encountered gives me insight into the unseen realm because, again, Paul tells the Colossians, set your mind on things above. But what if you can't? can't articulate, describe, or even understand the things above. We understand it through the experience of Israel. It's a powerful, powerful analog to our spiritual lives. And I'm telling you right now, I would not be standing here in front of you had I not had many of these templates, because I'll tell you what happened with Abraham when the famine hit. He ran to Egypt, and strangely enough, he told the Pharaoh that his wife was his sister. And then he has this promised seed, Isaac. And in Genesis 26, Isaac, there's a famine in the land again. And Isaac's tendency was immediately to run to Egypt. Why? Because fear, we're going to starve. This is going to go badly. And again, now this case, not the Pharaoh of Egypt, but the Philistine king Abimelech, and whether that was the same Abimelech that was during the time of Abraham, scholars disagree about potentially. It would have been a 75-year 70 period apart, or if that was more kind of an expression, Abimelech of Pharaoh or whatever for the Philistines, we don't know exactly. But here Abimelech arises, and uh, he again, he tells Abimelech that, no, he, this is his sister. Now, these are, when I see patterns like that emerge in Scripture, I always ask the question, why? How strange. Famine emerges, 
go south to where there's food, and they go to Pharaoh, and they go to Abimelech, and they go to all, and all this, and then they lie about their wife being their sister, and then, but they're protected by God. When I see these patterns emerge, immediately I began to say, is there a deeper truth that could be had for us here in the 21st century? And you this morning about your own life and the question at hand, how do I become hundredfold? Now, some of you say, well, I don't even know. I don't even, I'm just experimenting with God or I'm just exploring whether or not this Jesus was uh, the Messiah of Israel and then my Messiah and died for me. And, and okay, those are maybe premature, but some of you have already made that decision. You've had that born again experience. You are a child of God through the, the impressive work that Jesus did on the cross by spilling his blood and taking the wrath of God upon himself, and now you become a child of God by faith in that. And we talk about it every week. I never want anybody to walk out of here and go, how do I become a follower of Jesus by believing in his work on the cross for you? And if you're that person, the next question you should ask is, how do I become a follower of Jesus? Disciple me, Jesus. Explain to me what you desire. One of the things that we know is that in John chapter 15, Jesus was very clear. He said, your father desires that you bear much fruit. Let me say that again. Jesus, describing himself as the vine, we being the branches, apart from me, you can do nothing. But your father desires that you bear much fruit. One more time, because three times the charm, right? Your father, your father, my father desires that you bear much fruit. Think about that for a minute. Do you ever take an exam of your life and say, and am I being fruitful? I'm going to give you what I think the Lord gave me, and as a result, it's going to be a message for us as a church. I'm going to take you back to Genesis chapter 26, and we're going to pull some deep and what I believe to be eternal truths about how to walk in the unseen realm effectively and possibly even become hundredfold. Think about that. Hundredfold. What does that mean? A hundred times. Your effectiveness becomes, if one seed is planted, a hundred seeds emerge from your life. Does that even interest you? Are you just thinking about, well, I'm in or I'm out? Don't think in terms, you're a child of God through Jesus by faith. Now the next question emerges, how do I please my father? Again, I say it all the time because it's motivated me for now over two decades. Paul's admonition was simply this. I I make it my ambition to be pleasing to him. Then Jesus, he combined that with Jesus saying, my father desires that you are fruitful, that you bear much fruit. So how do you be pleasing? How do you be pleasing? Bear fruit. So how do we become hundredfold? Well, in exploring that, uh, I Genesis 26 emerged, and because I am a Bible writer, years ago I I wrote down in Mark 4 and Luke 8. I, here it was, right there, Genesis 26. And I I didn't I'll be honest with you, I didn't have the connection. I'd written it years ago, and but this just leapt off the page for me two or three weeks ago, and so I'm going to share that with you now. Genesis chapter 26, Isaac. We're just going to read it. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to pick it up here because I want to really get to these points that I believe are impactful points for where we are today at Church at the Red Door. So Isaac settles in Gerar, chapter 26, Genesis. Now there was a famine in the land. 
Okay, so we're already drawing an analog here, right? We have a famine. We have a pandemic. We lost our land after three years and a half a million dollars when we first started that. Oh, boy, does that, that hurt. I got to tell you, it's been, I've had mornings where I just am so discouraged. Lord, where do we go? Well, at least we'll be back at UCR. We can't get back at UCR. And, and some of you say, why? Well, if you want to wear masks and everybody's six feet apart, and, and that's the current regulations as we stand, and, and all these different things, and we could only have 70 at a time, and we have two servers, we could have 140 people, and that means that the, it, once we get to October, November, December, it's just not it's not somewhere. I also don't want to rent some space where we've got to put a bunch of stuff in and, and then we have low ceilings or whatever and we cramp people in and then this and then we're on the line for all this and then we, things get shut down again. I pray that doesn't happen, but I don't know what the future holds. So we're, people are asking me, what's plan B? I said, I barely am still clinging to plan A. I don't know what plan B is or C or D. So we're praying this month. We're fasting. We're asking you to seek the Lord's face for the leadership in this church because we've got some big decisions to make. Are you with me? I need, you know what? I need to be in a church where somebody says amen. Come on, give me an amen. There we go. I needed that deep down in some of my charismatic roots. I needed a little bit of that, all right? So now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of his father Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, okay, so how does this apply to you? What is the application? You're going to be a hundredfold. We're going to learn something. You need to stay and sojourn in the land that I have shown you. Now, sometimes God has patriarchs move. But I've got to tell you, we live in an age where anytime things get uncomfortable, people flee. They, there's a famine in whatever way people flee. They have a famine in their marriages, they flee their marriages. There's a famine in their families, they flee. There's a famine, they just are not interested. It gets old and everybody's off. We're such a mobile society. Have you asked the Lord where you're supposed to be at this place and time, or you just go where is the most convenient? And we just tend, we tend to do that. He says, don't go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. He doesn't even always define it specifically. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I'm going to bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath with I swore to your father Abraham. I'm going to multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. Give your descendants all these lands and by your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, remember, Abraham's living well before the Mosaic law, but what did he mean by his laws and his commandments? And But what he told Abraham, leave where I'm telling you to leave and go to a place that I will show you. Don't run to Egypt when famines hit. Don't freak out in the middle of the storm that inevitably will hit your life. And he obeyed me. Not perfectly, by any means. He lied, for heaven's sake. Like, she's my sister. She's my sister. And then Pharaoh, to Abraham, Pharaoh took his sister, his sister, isn't his wife, Sarai at this point. So Isaac lived in Gerar. I got to tell you that that verse six is incredibly powerful. So he didn't. <laughs> so he stuck it out. He didn't want to stick it out. I mean, they could have starved, but he stuck it out. He'd given him particular property, particular place to be 
in life. And let me tell you something, I believe this all in my heart. You've heard me say this before, but there are two analogies that people give about finding the direction of God for your life. You, you, there's a big parking lot. You get saved through Jesus. You go into the parking lot. You pick wherever you want to park. You want to park under a tree. You want to park over here. You want to park in handicap, even though you're not handicapped. Whatever. You just do whatever you want to do. Park wherever you want to park. No problem. I don't think that's biblical in my heart. I just don't see it. I don't think you just do the best you can. I think there's a specific place for you to park based on your gift, based on the community God wants you to be connected with, the people and the relationships that God wants you to be connected with. There's specificity to your place in the parking lot. Some disagree with that. I just believe it is. Once Isaac will move on and pass on his descendants uh, through Jacob, who would become Israel. Those tribes, once they came out of Egypt, they were given specific allotment of places to be. And as I've taught you before, the tribe of Dan, it got difficult for them. They went north and they wiped out a, a peace-loving people. And guess what happened? They fell into idolatry. I think it is imperative that I, Jeff Cranford, stay on a personal level, and then you stay exactly where God has called you to be at this season in your life, even if it seems like there is a famine in the land. I think it's clear, and I could go into many examples of how important that was. Jesus himself, very specifically, went exactly where, when, how, place, even though it meant a cross and his ultimate death. He was faithful to the end. Nevertheless, not my will. Take this cup from me, Lord. But not my will, your will. Why? Was Jesus hundredfold or was Jesus thirtyfold? Jesus was quadrillion, Google fold. Jesus was the fulfillment of everything. And it goes on and tells a story about him lying about his wife. And then, amazingly, verse 12, Isaac sowed in that land in that land. Stay in the place that I've called you to sojourn. Now, I'm going to bring this down. I'm going to narrow this to me. But in some ways, those of you who feel called to be, a, to be partnered with me slash us slash, it's a lot bigger than me now, but Church at the Red Door, uh, some of you links, some of you online, whatever. Uh, I'm just telling you it's important to understand that fruitfulness came by staying in the location. And notice this, Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. I didn't know whether I was going to share this because it was very, this wasn't an official uh, thing at all, and I don't want you to feel, but I've got to tell you, I have every temptation to run right out of this desert. I have for 30, been here 35 years, and it gets hot in the summer. And there are places I'd a lot rather be. <laughs> Let me tell you something. And uh, I love the desert for, you know, eight months out of the year, but sometimes it's difficult to be here. And, and Greg and Monica are here, and that Greg knows for years, I'd, you know, are you in the tank? And yeah, I'd come about into June, July, and I'm like, I'm in the tank, man. I can't, how, what am I doing here? And, I, and again, I've debated, I haven't even shared this with any of our staff. Uh, there was uh, somebody that uh, approached me about the possibility of um, um, maybe thinking about, and I, it was very, it wasn't official anything, but somebody approached me about, going and pastoring somewhere, somewhere else. And it, we had a big, beautiful stuff already built and they weren't, you know, and all that kind of thing. 
And just for about one second, I imagined myself being in an already built and everything else, and, then, and, and it was a beautiful place and all this kind of thing, and then, and then immediately I just went, snap out of it. Sojourn in the land that I have told you to sojourn in. And it's here. My calling on an individual basis is here, in this desert, to a specific demographic And I, I, it didn't even entertain the thought for more than a few seconds. But yeah, oh wow, yeah, there is a, well, we, we've got, well, nothing's going for us, man. We're in a, no offense to La Quinta Cinema, but we're in a, how does this, how is this going to work? There's a famine. Everything just is a famine right now. And boy, do I want to run in some ways to Egypt. Why? Because I'm a human being. Maybe you've got something like that in your life right now relationally, family, business-wise, something. Your marriage is suffering. Something's going on. and Just want to get the heck out of Dodge. Find Abimelech or Pharaoh or whatever it is, and there will always be, the grass truly is always greener. But if you're a person who wants to be a hundredfold, this leapt out, of, out at me when I was sitting there in Denver just contemplating this. And I said, of course, Lord, of course you've called me to be and sojourn in this land. Now, the rest of this is also quite instructive. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. Now, obviously, we're not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, folks. Well, this is not going to get me financially wealthy by being here. But boy, is this treasure in heaven. When you're a hundredfold, it does have a profound impact, not only the people that are impacted, but your eternal bank account. Jesus said, send it ahead, man, where neither rust nor moth can destroy. Hundredfold matters. Hundredfold matters. Or even 60 or 30, it's good soil. Be Productive, And it doesn't just mean people coming to Christ. It also means the fullness of the fruit of Galatians 5 and joy and peace and long-suffering and patience and all those things that just begin to accrue to your life and it changes the reflection of your soul when you look in a spiritual mirror. You're just different. You become a different person with different likes and passions and you're not constrained by the world anymore. Now, what's fascinating here, and I think this is important, he had possessions and flocks and herds and a great household, so the Philistines envied him. In other words, yeah, there were people that were being added to his clan, and I do think that could very easily be drawn, the, this idea, uh, analogously, uh, Church of the Red Door is going to grow at some point in the future. You know, we were growing pretty linearly, and then at a recent meeting, boy, have we lost our momentum? What's going on? And I mean, I realize we naturally lose 75% probably of our congregation during this time of year because most of our folks are snowbirds. But even even the people that were here, and now for two years, not really being able to replenish people, there's a natural attrition that happens in the desert. We've lost people, passed away. One of our precious trustees, as I told you, Gary Ames. I mean, at a very young age, I mean, it was shocking. It it just brutalized me. Marilyn Meberg from Women of Faith. I was on the phone with her last night. She's moved out of the desert. I could go down a long list of people who've left the desert and we haven't repopulated because we haven't, we didn't meet for almost a year, for a year and a half. It was difficult. But here it says, and like, well, wait a minute, just stay there. Now all the, all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines stopped them up by filling them with earth. 
And then, and by, can I just tell you that every time you try to dig a well, why do you dig a well? Water comes. What's water? Jesus said, I am the living water. You start digging wells where Jesus emerges, and you don't think you're going to have an enemy that's going to try to fill it in with dirt? I mean, think about it. You don't think we have an enemy. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual forces of wickedness and heavenly places. Every time we try to build a well where Jesus is going to come gushing out, either individually in our lives or corporately, every time we do that, what's the enemy going to do? They're going to come and they're going to try to fill it with dirt. Well, he goes back in and he starts trying to unstop these. And Abimelech said, go away from us, for you are too powerful for us, verse 16. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. What happened at a certain point is that they got, well, they got too big. It was not too different what would happen in the future with their ancestors, with their, with their um, uh, progeny in the future. They would be in Egypt and they would get too big and powerful, so they would have a birth control method, and that's where Moses gets thrown in a basket and, and, and sails down the Nile until the, the providence of God intervenes. And I've just got to tell you that this is, is always going to happen. We were always going to have people throw dirt into the wells that we dig, and we can feel that a uh, little bit over the last few years, can we not? We grew. We were, we were being pretty fruitful. For a church plant, are you kidding me? It was pretty cool. It was awesome. We were, we were seeing amazing things. People come to Christ, baptizing people with a solid missional strategy, multiple missional strategies, giving away hundreds of thousands of dollars to Coachella Valley Rescue Mission and Narrow Door and all these other kinds of, and then people start, filling in our wells. So what does he do? Well, he dug, verse 18, he dug the wells of water of which he had been dug in the days of his father, the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, gave him the same names which his father had given them. So he's just going to redig some of these wells. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there was a well flowing with water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled over the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, This water is ours. And he named the well Essek because they content. Essek just means contention. And they dug another well and they quarreled over it and they named it Sitna. And what does that mean? Strife. You don't think, now this is written for our instruction upon whom the age, ends of the ages have come. Do you understand that? These things were written for us. 21st century, written thousands of years ago. This same pattern happens over and over and over. And this is what God did. Jeff, aren't you aware of this? You don't think you're going to have contention and strife if you start trying to dig wells where Jesus emerges? People, you know, just at the, at the scent of water. I think about Job, you know, the, at the scent of water, life comes. Just the scent of Jesus. Life can transform a family, a marriage, a, 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 the relationships, and your whole internal struggle that you may be having can be changed in a moment's time just at the scent of water. Of course, they're going to... Of course, there's going to be contention and strife over these wells. What do I expect? First Peter 4, why are you surprised at the fiery ordeal among you as if some strange thing were happening to you? Share in the sufferings of Christ. He didn't say, just put up with it. Arm yourselves, he, Peter says. Share the sufferings of Christ. Arm yourselves to suffer. Of course, there's going to be contention. Of course, there's going to be strife. At last, the Lord had made room for us. Why? Verse 22 said, He moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. 
So he named it Rehoboth, for he said, at last the Lord has made room for us. That name just means eventually there's going to be room for us. I felt what the Lord was saying to me through this Genesis 26 template of Isaac is that we're going to dig some wells and people are going to throw dirt in them just like they did with Abraham. They're going to stop them off. They're going to fight over it. Contention and strife are going to build uh, people. We have an enemy that does not want the scent of water in the valley, anything but. Some of those old wells have been filled in. There are churches here in the valley. I don't certainly name any. aren't even preaching the gospel. I don't even believe that Jesus was resurrected, raised literally from the dead. They're preaching a social kind of something gospel. I'm not, not, not many, but there are. There's some old wells that need to be filled in with dirt. But I'm telling you right now, we want the scent of Jesus, the scent of Jesus to permeate this valley, and that's our calling, and don't leave when there's a famine. I'm just, I'm, I could turn around right now. I'm just preaching to me. That's what I'm doing. Now, Jeff, I'm just telling you right now, and I should blend in. This suit blends right in. I'm just telling you, Jeff, don't. I mean, this is how I do. This is how I pray. I walk around. I walk around. I'm like, Lord Jesus, I, I, I'm so tired of this. I'm so discouraged with this. And why did you call me to do that? And then I start contemplating, thinking about other things, glorious things I could do for God in other lands but we want it to be a hundredfold. Why do you think that the only place in the Old Testament, the only place in the Old Testament, not one time does it say hundredfold in the Old Testament, except for right here. And what did it revolve around? Stay exactly where you are. Even when strife and contention and all the other myriad of things. And let me tell you something, this is not just about church at the red door. Some of you, this will be life transforming because right now you are already preparing to pack up and run because it seems it's going to be easier somewhere else. I'm just saying, if you get a word from the Lord and you know without a shadow of a doubt that that's the words, the, the word of the Lord for you and you act on that, then go for it. But if not, stay right where you are if you care about being a hundredfold. And what's fascinating, I'm going to go ahead and get to the end of the story is... The old uh, man would say, what was his name? Paul Harvey, yeah, thank you, thank you. Verse 26 in Genesis 26, then Abimelech came to him from Gerar, was his advisor, and then also Phicol, the commander of the army, and Isaac said to them, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? Remember, they sent him out because they had gotten too productive. They were too wealthy, too prosperous. And that maybe happened to us at some point. You got too much attention. We need to wipe you out. Get out of here. You know, get out of from our midst. And and why do you why do you call me? Because this happens at the end every time. That eventually they said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. You know, one of the things I want people in this valley. There are a lot of people who do not want a church. Do not want church at the red door or any church for that matter. They don't want any sin of Jesus. They want to eradicate any of that from their lives, their hearing, and anything that comes along. And we're those people that just kind of just keep coming back. You know, we're those evangelicals who talk about Jesus. And when we go out to dinner and when we rise up and when we go to bed, and yeah, people are like, all right, let's talk about your religion stuff again. I mean, please, don't do that anymore. Would you just leave us alone? No, because we love you too much to leave you alone. But eventually... They'll exclaim, plainly, plainly, the Lord has been with 
you. Eventually they make a covenant, and I don't think that's really relevant to our talk. I want to close with this. John Dixon, one of my favorite authors, says, uh, I think he's Australian. He says, I want more than myself. Now, listen to this. I want more than myself. He says, I don't want to shape reality around who I am. I want to know what reality is and then allow that to shape me. Now, that is life-altering. I want more than myself. I can just construct my life around me and my interests, my passions, my... And by the way, they are all over the place because they'll change. If I could just retire and play golf, and then after a year, I hate golf more than I hate anything else in the entire world. Well, I'm picking up pickleball. And then after crank, 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 it's pretty loud, that pickleball. After, you know, after about a year of that with bad knees and elbows and everything else, and I hate my pickleball partners. I can't believe I play. You know, I mean, that's, that's, seriously, that's where we live. It's Palm Springs, Coachella Valley, people's golf, pickleball, and all that. If I could just, you know, retire and eat fancy steak dinners, and yeah, you're putting on a few pounds. So uh, think about this. I don't want to create that kind of reality. I want more than me. I want to be a hundredfold. I was watching a thing the other night on, some of you know, The Doors. Some of you younger people won't have heard of The Doors, but Jim Morrison. I didn't really know a whole lot about the door. I've obviously knew a few other, you know, just classic songs that I had heard through the years, but this was kind of a biopic on him. And he died in his late twenties. He was a he was like a idol kind of guy. I mean, big time, a sex idol of sorts, you know. And I remember that iconic picture of him with no shirt on and his long hair and his prime and and then he went the way, early on, early on. It's hard for people to take in worship, because that's really what it is. Take it in and not have it burn them. And he, be, he went the same path as many others, Elvis Presley and many others, these rock superstars, Jimi Hendrix and all these different kind of people, these rock superstars. And he started to gain weight, and this and that. He said, I got to get out of the, you know. He's in his 20s. Now, he was a pretty good poet, and he ended up going to London, and he had his girlfriend, and she was addicted to heroin, and he ends up, dying in a bathtub and his heroin addicted girlfriend found him and just one more rock idol tragedy and this is how it concluded the biopic it simply said that uh and i want to and i'm and i will quote jim morrison never knew who he was and he didn't understand his purpose now that was a moment of real clarity and whoever did that biopic, because usually you don't get that kind of existential insight into these things. They just, the glory and the, all this, and then they don't talk about the tragedy, or if they do, it's kind of an addendum to the end. And they died uh, uh, depressed and this, and, and we go down along with you know Michael Jackson and Marilyn Monroe and blah, 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 and we go down all this list of which this entire valley pretty much is built. I mean, for heaven's sake, everybody's arguing about a big thing of Marilyn Monroe and looking up her skirt in, the, in Palm Springs right now. It's been a big topic. I mean, this is kind of the, the, the vision, the dream of the Coachella Valley. And I'm just telling you, it ends often in tragedy. At least it ends in boredom. Please, I want to be more than myself. I don't want to try to construct a reality around me. I want to find out what reality, I'm telling you what reality is. Jesus gave us insight into reality. 
Your father desires that you bear much fruit. Lord, could I be a hundredfold? Could this church be a hundredfold? What do we know that we need to do? Sojourn in the land that I've called you. We have a particular calling. There was something about the location of where we were talking about that was important. Of course, we could get industrial space on the other side of the interstate and go where somewhere where it's inexpensive. It's not our calling. I'm just telling you. I don't know what the future holds. I'm just telling you as a church, we have a specific calling to a specific demographic, and it's more than just my personal calling. It's the, it's the very ethos and the culture that we've been trying to well, to follow the Lord into. And so I'm unapologetic this morning about not having plan B. And I don't know what's going to happen three months from now, but guess what? Jesus said you don't either. Don't brag about tomorrow because you don't know if you're even going to be alive tomorrow. We'll go into such and such city and we'll do this. All I know and can be guided by is biblical narrative. And biblical narrative says, I put you here for a purpose, church at the red door. Stay in your lane. And I know there's a famine. Quit freaking out about it. Meet right here. It's okay. You know? Only half of you are asleep right now because of the chairs and zzz, you know, all that kind of thing. You know, we're meeting. There's some churches in the world. I can't imagine what, you know, there are churches in the world right now that are meeting under a tree or at the threat of people coming in and throwing them into jail or torturing them or whatever, and, and we're like, come on, come on, all right? Are you with me? I think in light of that, I can now turn this over to Pastor Paul for communion. We're going to finish with communion. I know it's been a little longer morning than normal, but I'm just, I'm just thinking it's been a good morning. I'm glad to be back. And I'm going to say this last thing. Paul, you can go on ahead and come up here, brother. Um, Many of you have extended. Uh, some of you don't know. It's not that I don't like you in the summer. I, that, I'm also still president and CEO of Lynx Players International. I know most of you know that. And so my summer schedule is kind of two on and two off for like five months. And then I'm, I'm in the pulpit during the entirety of the season. You know, we're a seasonal place, right? And I do, there's a lot of things that are very exciting that are an extension. Can I just tell you, are an extension of you at Church at the Red Door. Make it possible. We have a new southeast region. We were starting eight new fellowships just about to be birthed all over the southeast. Our vision is to have a thousand fellowships. Many of you are byproducts of a fellowship that started at a club, or not all of you, but many of you. It was the founding kind of ethos of Church at the Red Door. Our vision, we have over 300 now. Our vision is to see 1,000. If they just average 20 people, 20,000 influencers, and guess what, Church of the Red Door? You're a sending church. Your own pastor, you've, the, the leadership here is willing to send me and to, to build this organization, and we've just made a bunch of new hires, and yet we've also got a famine. Our Jeff Hopper is not doing well. He's not well at all. Got bad news this last couple of weeks. Sometimes we want to run. I'm not running. I'm just telling you. And if I run, chase me down, bring me back, and, and, and pull up this whatever this date airs and say, you go listen to your message. And I may have to if it gets any worse. No, I'm just kidding you. We're okay. Can I just tell you, Church of the Red Door, we are okay. We're going to be, we're committed to being fruitful. We're not about primarily providing religious services for religious people. I've told you that from day one. We're about reaching into this valley with the scent of water 
and his name is Jesus.